0: What's the story Wishbone, what's this your dreaming of? Such big imagination on such a little part. What's the story Wishbone, do you think it's worth a love? It kinda seems familiar, like a story from Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? In which they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past. I'm Sarah Ift-Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by guest Rachel Rosing to talk about Bone of Arc, one of Wishbone's forays into the Middle Ages. So hi, Rachel. Hey, Sarah.
1: Can I tell you, when I went to
0: look up this episode, because I just
1: um, was jumping off my own assumption instead of reality, I went and searched in YouTube for Joan of Bark, because <laughs> in my mind, if you're making a wishbone episode about Joan of Arc yeah. you should do Joan of Bark, and then I couldn't find it, and then I had to go back, and I'm like, oh, it's <gasps> Bone of Arc Why not just go all in and say, like, Bone of Bark? Really? Right. Double down, wishbone. I'm would
0: have made more sense because for some reason I actually remembered specifically that it was bone of arc from when I watched this when I was like nine but <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I mean I'm just like time machine I'm gonna talk to the wishbone creators
0: I think right Joan of bark that should have been the way they went yes so do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you wanted to talk about this particular piece of media
1: I'm a podcast enthusiast, although I'm going to have to admit that since quarantine, I say quarantine, like I'm staying home more because of quarantine. But the reason I'm not working is because I just decided to quit my job this spring. I've not been listening to podcasts as much because I realized they just don't fit into my routine at mm-hmm. home in a bizarre way. But I used to podcast actively and listen to more of them. I'm extremely online. So hit me up for memes or whatever. And a big fan of Wishbone and general PBS youth programming from the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. If you come across like a medieval themed episode of Ghost Rider,
0: like I'm Your Girl.
1: Okay. Like that era of programming
0: my sweet spot I was not encouraged to watch tv much as a kid and so this and the magic school bus were like the only things that I watched
1: I've never seen the magic school bus I feel like there are certain cultural touchstones that are maybe for the age group slightly behind me that Uh just a hundred percent pass me by I think that I would if I had just maybe one or two years younger I'd be all on board for magic school bus (laughs) Yeah. Or like five years younger and I would have ever seen an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. There's a lot of... Right. I just missed missed it by a little
0: bit. At some point when I was in the like 9, 10 range, there were, I think, reruns of Wishbone. And I think maybe, and Magic School Bus was on either right before or right after the the Wishbone reruns. So that would be like my only TV time.
1: Right. Your programming block.
0: Yes. <laughs> Wishbone Bone of Arc stars Larry Brantley as the voice of Wishbone and Soccer as the dog playing Wishbone. I did look up the name of the dog actor. Very important. Uh-huh. It also stars Jordan Wall as Joe, Christy Abbott as Sam, Adam Springfield as David, and Gene Simpson as Joan of Arc. As far as I know, I'm not sure if these pe- if any of these people really made it big in a post-Wishbone world. When
1: I looked at the IMDb page for this episode and also for Wishbone as a series, it, it mentioned that a lot of the cast for various episodes were just pulled from the local theater scene in, oh. I feel like, I want to say Dallas or Denver. I stopped paying okay. attention at that point. Wherever this was filmed, which yeah. considering it's, you know, like a PBS show, it was not necessarily Hollywood. a Los Angeles Hollywood-based <laughs> production. Uh, I'm going to just find it now here. Dallas. A rotating okay. cast of Dallas theater-slash-stage actors filled the various literary roles. But I do also remember seeing... And uh, you didn't mention her name because she's not, I guess, top build for the episode. But the actress who plays Joe's mom is, in fact, the mother of the actor playing Joe.
0: Yes, that's right. I think I forgot to write her down, but I did notice that they had the same last name when yeah. I was looking things up.
1: And just yeah. that's my nice. own color commentary between the two of them, I'm going to say she's got the acting talent in the family. For as much as that's I was fair. always a fan of Wishbone the Show, <laughs> Joe is like a real
0: block of wood. <laughs> yeah, the the kids in general really feel like accessories to the dog in well, this yeah. episode in every episode. Yeah, well yeah, yeah, I, I assume I just I haven't seen the others in a long time, so this is the only one I'm going to make a definitive statement about. but yeah, they're they're really secondary to the dog. Yeah, which is fine. We're really all here
1: for the dog. I wouldn't have been at all surprised to see Joe cast as Anakin Skywalker as a child. <laughs> he does have that look he has the same haircut i think as jake lloyd same haircut and same wooden demeanor
0: Yeah. Yeah. The first segment that we're going to do is the enumeratio or recap, where we'll go over the events of the episode and just chat about it a little bit. So I'm going to start with just a brief recap to orient us. First of all, for those who have not had the delight of experiencing Wishbone as a crucial part of their childhoods, the show Wishbone is about a dog who introduces watchers to works of classic literature by drawing parallels with his own life and that of his tween human owner Joe and his friends. This is brilliant and nobody is allowed to say that this is anything but brilliant. That is correct. In fact, and I know that one of the reasons that I was in
1: your mind to invite to guest on this episode is because every time Wishbone is mentioned anywhere on the internet, I pop up and make sure that a link gets dropped to the brilliant comedic piece of writing on the defunct uh, the toast website called yes. the pitch meeting for wishbone so if anybody <laughs> is familiar with wishbone or in fact is not familiar with wishbone i highly recommend googling the pitch meeting for wishbone
0: i think it'll give you a, yeah a good idea of what yeah. wishbone is and how it is in fact visionary and brilliant yes <laughs> I think there's a line in there also about somebody's like, okay, so are the kids reading the books? And, the, and it's like, no, like can the kids even can the kids even read? I don't know. who cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> so in this particular episode, Joe's friend Sam, who is a girl, joins the boys soccer team and she is crucial to their winning the playoff game. but their victory is challenged on the grounds of a minor rules violation. This then parallels the story of Joan of Arc, a peasant maid who in the 15th century led the French army to a major victory against the English in the 100 years of war. That totally parallels it. (laughs) Totally. I think this is actually called out in the Wishbone pitch meeting article that the the person pitching it is like, well, you know, this girl wants to join the boys' soccer team, and that's kind of like Joan of Arc. And then the person's like, is it? (laughs) Is it? So it's a little questionable, but Mm. that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It, it doesn't matter. No. We start out in the present with poor Wishbone has lost his water bowl, and it's very sad.
1: I felt like this opening scene um, was just about an inch away from breaking into like a Sunny D commercial. Oh, yeah. Um, when the kids come in from playing. <laughs> I, I, got, I, get, I get the sense they're coming in from playing soccer, even though they're not because they're coming in from saying like, oh, it's such a shame that that other soccer player like sprained his knee. Right. But it's a real vibe of coming in from some sort of exertion. And they're like, oh, I'm so thirsty. And Joe like opens the fridge. <laughs> and the fact that he didn't like pull out a bottle of purple stuff was right a letdown.
0: Yeah, I guess they did not get the product placement together for this
1: episode. Right. They they couldn't get purple stuff in to
0: sponsor the episode. Right. <laughs> Sam is in addition to, you know, having her other important roles later in the episode, is the only one who has the decency to notice that this dog has lost its water bowl and needs some water, not include so including his like actual owner yes. who like just does not notice this like barking unhappy dog in a corner. Like come on, Joe. The fact that Wishbone
1: only barks once to try to get Joe's attention that he's thirsty, but keeps up a running sort of voiceover monologue Mm -hmm. of how he's dying (laughs) of thirst, and it doesn't occur to him to bark Right. what Wishbone lacks in reasoning skills. He makes up for in charm. (laughs) Yes, and literary knowledge,
0: clearly. And literary
1: knowledge, but... (laughs) feel like maybe just yeah. bark a second time
0: it also is somewhat unrealistic because i feel like jack russell terriers in particular are really big barkers
1: i have a jack russell terrier there you and go you <laughs> are
0: not wrong
1: <laughs> she, she's very old now and less of a barker because she's very old mm-hmm. but yes you are 100 percent right in general <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's at least my stereotype of Jack Russell Terriers. Although I have never had one for myself, but as as like there are some dogs who just aren't big barkers. My dog yeah. really only barks like at people who she sees it in, as intruders, but otherwise is very quiet. Not only are they big barkers, but they're big
1: jumpers. So mm-hmm. a more realistic Jack Russell Terrier, if he barked and didn't get Joe's attention would run up to Joe and jump vertically straight up in the air until he was <laughs> eye to eye with Joe and then bark again. <laughs> like,
0: Where is the water, buddy? Yeah. But he does eventually get the water, which inspires him to uh, describe Sam as champion of the underdog, giving water to the thirsty, hope to the hopeless. Hey, that reminds me of Joan of Arc. Yeah. As as you do. Because, and I wrote this down, France was
1: thirsting for freedom (laughs) it's like wow okay (laughs) and then i wrote down kind of a reach yeah a little bit you know france she's so thirsty for freedom (laughs) i try so hard not to filter every piece of media i consume nowadays through the filter of like oh shit this is sexist but Mm. the (laughs) the boys are like oh my god our super good soccer player on the team can't play and we're up against the undefeated team in the tournament and sam is like oh well you know the community team i played on like won all of our games and i scored all of the goals and i'm like a soccer maven and joe is like "Eh, but like no
0: like (laughs) we're playing
1: the blast and then their other friend whose name i didn't catch the other board, I think. David, thank you. David's like, I don't know. I mean, Sam's team was undefeated. And then after another male has validated the opinion, right? they, <laughs> then Joe's like, huh, maybe it is a good idea, like taking credit for Sam's idea. And
0: I was just like, this is every board meeting and Zoom meeting yes. in existence. <laughs> There's this really weird dynamic throughout the episode that it's really clear that everybody is doubtful of Sam's ability in a way that is clearly because she is a girl, but yes. no one ever articulates this. It's called out once, and I wrote down the
1: exact line. I can say it now, or I can wait till we get to that point in the plot. Okay, you can wait till we get to that okay. point in the plot, because I think, honestly, I might have missed it even. So. No, I was like, what? And I paused and wrote it down verbatim, because... Yeah. You know,
0: tisk tisk. But yeah, but there's definitely a lot of like people basically being like, "I don't know," and it's like, "Why are you so skeptical?" People being like, "Oh my god,
1: aren't you so nervous?" Oh right, yeah, yeah. it's a lot of that. Aren't you so nervous
0: to play soccer, a game that you've already successfully played a bunch? Uh huh. You must be so nervous about this particular game. I wonder why. I wonder why you should be so nervous. Well, it is the playoff game with the. With the Blast. Uh, with the Blast, yes. I'm
1: trying to remember so there. So
0: scary. <laughs> it's a good team name. Wishbone identifies his particular source material for Joan of Arc as Mark Twain's personal recollections of Joan of Arc, a book which, by the way, I have not read. But when I was looking it up, it is described as the book that Mark Twain said he thought was his best book and that none of the critics agreed with him on. <laughs> <laughs> the The thing that struck me
1: about it was that presumably that is a heavily, at least, I don't know, medium, I didn't do any research, that's at least a somewhat fictionalized account of Joan of Arc, kind of in the way that like Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court is a fictionalized account of King Arthur's Court. So this Wishbone episode then is a fictionalized account of a fictionalized account. So we're getting
0: pretty far away from actual Joan of Arc. We are. And it's also, there's, of course, uh, this interesting element that so Wishbone then obviously is the part of the show. He plays one of the characters, but Wishbone is a boy dog, so he always plays boy characters. Yes. So they need to find a male for him to play. And one of the convenient things about this particular version of the story of Joan of Arc is that it's Joan's life uh, as she supposedly told it, or as it was experienced by her friend Louis de Comte, who was made up. Okay, I kind of wanted to ask that
1: because I wondered what the actual historical likelihood would have been in the year 1429 for, like, a single, maybe somewhat lower-class teenage girl to be, like, platonic BFFs with a dude who could read and write. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And they just were, like, pals who hung out under a special tree together being good friends. Yeah, it's definitely something that Mark Twain made up uh, so as to have, you know, that's his framing device, basically, right. is that it's all told through the voice of this, uh, of this you know, guy, Louis, who's Jones' friend, who, as I right. said, he, I but, believe, is completely invented. Like, was my instinct right? Like, historically, maybe unlikely? It's not impossible, technically, but it is a little, it's a little strange. Right. Just seemed unlikely. That's that nobody... It's especially strange in the context of Joan's trial that it would never have been called out as somebody accusing her of some kind of sexual misconduct with the, if she has this man that she's especially close with. Right. And in yeah. some ways that's what I think is the most obvious is that like I don't think she could have had a man that she had that intense of a relationship with in a public way mm-hmm. without that being commented on. And I guess
1: I, I'm not familiar enough with how the class distinction breaks down and intersects with, like, the gender division because they do, in this wishbone episode at least mm-hmm. make mention of the fact that like joan cannot read or write and she's like a right sh- shepherdess or something right so relatively lower class yeah
0: and presuming that louis is also of the same class he pres- he probably also would not be able to read or write right i was like if he can read and write but is it because he was a man so he was allowed to
1: learn and the fact that she couldn't learn was more due to her gender than her class i was There's a lot of intersectionality going on in this fictional retelling
0: (laughs) of actual (laughs) events. So at that level of society and people like peasants, most of them, regardless of gender, cannot read or write. So there are other segments of society where it's more gendered, but there it's just like probably really nobody, to be honest. That tracks.
1: Oh, but is the year correct? 1429. They did specifically call that out in the show.
0: Yeah that's uh okay. it's it's at least like it's it's pretty close I, I uh yeah that like that's the year that she then uh is at the siege of Orléans I think maybe she actually right. left home in 1428 to end where like losing a month or so here here or there but like oh right. I'll, I'll allow that close enough yeah I like I didn't I didn't even look up what year
1: anything happened I did zero research I figured this would be like a real beauty and the beast situation only instead <laughs> of a beauty and a beast it's like a medievalist and a podcast guest who did absolutely
0: zero research that's kind of the dynamic (laughs) I did research I spent a ton of time reading through Joan's trial transcript it was a whole thing yep I didn't want to you know just
1: do what you were already doing
0: (laughs) exactly division of labor
1: yep so I do feel like in this historical scene they kind of call out canonically that Wishbone even though he is playing the role of Louis de Court, is also a dog because somebody comes into the like the inn or the tavern and I guess Joan's dad somebody tells the man to sit down and Wishbone says sit down I know that trick so right is is he a dog right <laughs> <Yeah>. even <in laughs> there's this a part? lot of
0: back and forth with that that he is like simultaneously a human and a dog yes yeah because there's that there's also that his his whole like stance and bodily movements when this stranger is coming into their home is very much also the way a dog reacts when a person that they do not know comes into their house. Yes. Except less barking. Later on in the episode, he calls out the English as
1: dog, those English dogs. Right, like, like, ah. Why are you using dog as an insult?
0: See, I was just interpreting it as like, well, it's the English dogs as opposed to the French dogs, you know, with that. <laughs>
1: <like>? <laughs> English, well, you know, Jack Russell Terriers are English
0: dogs. True. (laughs) Yeah, so we've got this wandering beggar who comes in. He talks about how he's basically been made a refugee by the war. Joan has to convince her dad to even let him come in and be fed. And they spend a lot of time chatting about how war is bad and how France needs this hero who has the courage to stand up to impossible odds. Yes.
1: She mentions that France will be made great again, which...
0: Is Yeah, that so, hasn't held up. So
1: yeah, I was gonna think this <laughs> real close to
0: a loaded phrase.
1: <laughs> 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 the poor
0: the people in nineteen
1: ninety five never knew. They had no idea. I also would like to give an honorable mention to the wig that poor actress playing Joan was wearing, I was getting such strong vibes of like act one Fontaine from the Les Mis 10th anniversary concert, like (laughs) with the real curly top and the long hair. And I was just like, "Mm, she's
0: gonna get a haircut later. That will be a plot point. (laughs) And she'll lose the whole bottom part of that wig, Right. right? Yeah, in general, I'm just gonna say now, I am not talking a lot about the costuming. The costuming is just it's very, very cheap. And that's really what is the thought process behind this costuming is that clearly this is, like, what we managed to find in, like, the theater department's medieval section.
1: Yes. And probably was reused if there was a Wishbone Les Miserables episode for Fontaine, so they could cut her hair.
0: Yeah. And there are also, there's a couple other episodes that have medieval content eventually wishbones got some like dog armor happening mm-hmm. i would bet he also was wearing the exact same armor in like the Ivanhoe episode <laughs>
1: oh you don't think they came up with two different
0: sets of dog Ab- armor absolutely. i would be shocked it's been a while since i've seen it so maybe i'll maybe i'll be surprised but
1: sure. i think there's also a wishbone prince and the Popper. is that medieval? that's yes. a little later yeah, than that's medieval, medieval. Is it? there you yeah, go Yeah, that's medieval
0: yeah nice
1: a good historical show and yeah. there's a Count of Monte Cristo wishbone episode.
0: Yeah, that's a bit later. There is also a Robin Hood. You you are going to get to do so much wishbone. Exactly, for your exactly. There's a lot of wishbone medieval content. Yes. I also just taught the Odyssey. Since I do a general, I teach a general humanities class as well. And now I'm like, wow i I should have made them watch the wishbone <laughs> episode of the Odyssey. You should have. Lesson learned for next time you teach it. Exactly. To show a clip at least. Joan reveals to Louis that she's had a vision that she's going to lead the armies of France to victory. Uh, he's a little nervous about this. He comments on the fact that, well, the French soldiers always run away when they see the English coming, which I'll mention later. And also that she's too young and she should talk to her father. And she's like, nah, I'm going to go talk to the king because she's not going to let a man tell her what to do. Yeah. She,
1: which, right, obviously so um, so <laughs> accurate for the era, you know, all those women standing up for themselves in 1429.
0: But it is accurate for Joan, actually, that Joan very much was like, no, I'm gonna do this. In the show, I in this Wishbone episode, they mention her as being like 17, but she was younger, right? She was 16 when she first left home yeah. and 19 when she died. Oh, all right. Well, I guess they split yeah. the difference. So, yeah, they're, they're about right in terms of her age, yeah. And she first started having visions at 13. I mean, visions, like period cramp induced hallucinations,
1: potato, (laughs) potato, Uh, you know. I mean, considering the age at which people were expected to mm, start a family in the Middle Ages, and I'm wildly uneducated about it but 13 would not have been an unusually young
0: age for a woman to have to get married right so it would for her class age okay. marriage tends to have a lot to do with social status so in when you're talking about the nobility it's pretty mm-hmm. common that because you might have a, a a particular alliance in mind that as basically as soon as you reach a kind of legal age to get married so potentially when you're 12 or 13 that it would be normal to have a marriage take place then just so you can actually cement this alliance. In poorer families, you know, they don't necessarily want to get rid of uh, an additional laborer you also you might have to get a dowry together and that takes time and so given all of those circumstances for peasant women it's very possible that you wouldn't be married until your early 20s ish
1: i was just thinking if you didn't want to be married off visions from god would be like a super convenient
0: <laughs> <kind of laughs> right, way, way to delay that you would think that she has a near contemporary marjorie kemp who is english and who is married and it's uh, at some point after she gets married that she starts having all of these very intense visions about jesus and the virgin mary and uh, it is very there is very much this interesting dynamic that the husband simultaneously wants to keep things relatively normal but also is like what did i get into here
1: i'm just really picturing like you know he's kind of snuggling up next to her and he's kissing on her neck and she's like oh not
0: tonight dear i have a vision (laughs) She actually did at some point say that she wanted to be celibate because of Jesus. (laughs) And she's like, I'm not not here for this. (laughs) I called it. So I could definitely see that you would be like, ooh, if I marry somebody now who's got a bunch of visions, like this is going to go way downhill way fast into her trying to persuade me that we should have one of those celibate marriages.
1: Right, yeah. You don't want to marry that vision girl from down
0: the street. Yeah. But she never got the chance to marry because they murdered her when she was 19. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. Then back in the present reality, we have another scene where, so now the kids are talking to David's father, the coach, who is super hesitant in a way that, again, is so obviously because she's a girl. Yeah, absolutely has to be talked into
1: it. His options are apparently, A, try to go up against the blast in the tournament, not having a power forward at all, Or right. B, let this girl be your power forward. And he's like, ooh.
0: Mm. Maybe no one is better than and girl. And they
1: basically have to bust
0: out the rule book. And it's like, oh, there's nothing in the rule book that says a girl can't play soccer. Right? It's also great because you have Wishbone sitting down there he's like, put me on the roster too. And it's like, this is clearly the inspiration for Air Bud, which came mm-hmm. out in 1997, so two years after this. So I feel like somebody just watched this and is like, what if they had put Wishbone on right. the roster? What if instead of a girl, we give the part to a dog? <laughs> <laughs> you can see his dad's wheels are, the coach's wheels are just turning. Yeah. He's like, no one, girl, dog, maybe dog. He's like the coach of the, team and he
1: doesn't appear to really know anything at all about the rules
0: of the league. He seems to be like a brand new coach. Like clearly something happened with their old coach and he got asked to fill in as just like this kid's dad who sort of understands the rules of soccer. It wasn't like a super thick book of rules and regulations. They they had like a pamphlet
1: and they're like it says right here in the rule pamphlet like you should have familiarized yourself with that and they're like it says in the rule book that as long as you submit her name in writing that she can be added to the roster and he's like hmm I haven't read this rule book you speak of but I guess sure if the 11
0: year old says that that's how it works that must be how it works must be we then have the episode where the king of France is trying to disguise himself basically to see if Joan is legit and she's able to immediately pick him out of the crowd which I would say is impressive I mean other there certainly would be other people who are richly dressed and who are members of the nobility sure I mean. I was leaning a little bit towards like,
1: oh, the king would be the one with like the least amount of shit on him and like the best teeth and just generally wouldn't look like, you're like, oh, I bet the guy with gout over there is the king or something.
0: He's being, yeah, so he's he's being compared against people who are of similar lifestyle, I would say. It's like, it's at court, it's other members of the nobility. So it actually is mildly impressive. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know. Especially like it's not like portraits exactly are necessarily circulating such as you would have seen one.
1: I would say that it's so impressive, in fact, so impressive as to prove some sort of divine benevolence upon Joan. And obviously she is entitled to command a full army of grown men
0: based right. on
1: this and only this.
0: Yeah, and that's a, it is something certainly that would have been considered impressive. I I don't know how she did it as a person who was not a person of <laughs> faith. Uh, genuinely, as I said, I think it is impressive in context, and they clearly found it impressive and as a sign that she is for real in terms of this whole visions from God thing.
1: Yeah, we talked a little bit before starting to record how as a person without faith myself, I can intellectually know that people are called by faith and driven by faith and follow one another through believing in faith i can know that intellectually and still find it absolutely wild and cannot comprehend (laughs) it happening but just for a teenage girl during a time when women were given nothing by society if for a teenage girl to walk in and just be like eeny meeny miny king give me an army (laughs) and he's like deal
0: (laughs) it's wild to me these Spiritual power that some relatively young women can have in this context is really interesting. And so another another example is that there's this uh, woman saint, uh, Catherine of Siena, who is actually one of the few female doctors of the church, which is a special designation that Catholics have. And she, among other things, uh, basically talked the Pope into going from uh, into going back to Rome after they had been based in Avignon for a number of years. Wow. Yeah. And she's just, you know, she's this like young, gr- relatively young girl. I can't remember exactly how old she was then, but she's like dead by the time she's in her early 30s because of her maybe not super great habit of deciding to try and live only on the Eucharist huh? and not eat other food. <laughs> I mean, if you truly believe in the Eucharist, you're just
1: looking at a pure protein diet.
0: Yeah, exactly. You've got the flesh, body, taste in that. I know. But yeah, in practice, it's not a great nutritional decision, so not totally shocking that she was dead by her. I would imagine the body
1: of Christ is not particularly high in something like vitamin C, and she probably got scurvy pretty
0: fast. Yeah. So, but yeah, but she managed to like convince the Pope, who is really a political figure as much as a religious one, to make this pretty major decision and uh, by virtue of this essentially perception of spiritual power and it's you know it's and today i would guess i would say even today there's certainly power that various kinds of charismatic individuals have uh, even if they don't necessarily have that religious appeal and so between the religious appeal mattering and the fact that these are clearly people who were in many ways charismatic and compelling i'm sure sure i think that's definitely a lot of where it's coming from
1: yes and then of course because i'm Uh, Not spiritual, but I am cynical and skeptical. It is hard for me to look at a story of a young girl convincing a powerful man to do something and not wonder like, "Mm, how virginal was she by the end of that convincing session? Oh, (laughs) just wondering, just wondering, just idle speculation. Just having a conversation among pals i don't know i'm sure it wouldn't have been written down anywhere it's not like the pope would have written in his diary later like oh my god right. we're going back to rome because i met this girl who gives the best blowies the pope my calls them blowies.
0: my inclination tends to be that it's unlikely just because i think if there was even in the slightest hint of that it would have been something that she got called out for basically I, yeah. So, I
1: definitely defer to your expertise. I'm just here to wildly speculate and smear the names of long dead people.
0: <laughs> Poor Joan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got written down here, Joan needs an army from the king, so apparently can I play power forward equals give me an army of soldiers to command. Yes. it's a perfect equivalence. I could not think of a better or more balanced comparison.
0: Clearly. No. They're they're exactly the same, yes. really.
1: Also, having played soccer myself as a youth, I mean not for many decades, but I did play soccer. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the power forward was like the captain of the team who like was right. in charge of everything. Right, she's not really running. Things. No, she's just like the <laughs> one who's more likely to kick a goal soccer is very much a team sport where you can't kind of call out
0: one member of the team and be like they're the one I mean looking ahead I actually think (laughs) the ruling for that reason is absolute bullshit yes but anyway (laughs) also so you can just bring dogs to soccer practice which is indoors I mean probably I don't know and that seems like something that's not allowed, like that you can't just like bring your dog who is not a service dog to this like indoor rec center where they play. I mean, this was what, like the early 90s, the late 80s, rules were lax. <clears throat>
1: Wishbone is a small, very well-behaved dog. True. A lot of places, particularly places that don't have like a health department reason, you know, like a, if, you, if you're not looking at a grocery store, yeah. I would imagine a lot of places have the kind of turn a blind eye policy where they're like, as long as the dog's not bothering
0: anybody, like, what am I going to do? Kick out a dog? Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the dog gets to be there for soccer practice, of course. And Sam scores a goal, which is the equivalent of winning a battle in the Hundred Years' War. Yeah. Yeah. So, everybody is very happy. She then goes to school and is talking to her one female friend that she has, who is clearly like also sort of her frenemy and who is dressed up like she's doing clueless cosplay. Yes. It felt almost
1: like heavily blossom inspired to just mm. the outfit, not the attitude but very, oh my god, soccer, aren't you nervous? Soccer with, the, she does everything but say soccer with the boys. She's right, a big game and keep, <laughs> keeps really like driving home that they're playing against the blast and the blast is like undefeated and they're such a good team the blast is so amazing which frankly then when we get further into the episode where we have the soccer game i'm like the blast seems like a perfectly average mediocre team of 11 year old boys who are not able to like trounce their opponents i
0: (laughs) and that's the thing too is they are 11-year-old children. Do people really take anything this seriously? So when let me think. I
1: played soccer in, it was like 5th and 6th grade, and it wasn't through the school. It was like a youth sports, community sports program. Mm-hmm. And no, none of us took it that seriously. I, yeah. I didn't sit around with any of my friends being like, oh my god, the big game is this weekend, mm-hmm. and the other team is undefeated. ah. Not at all. Yeah. Like the morning of the game would come and I'd be like, oh, I hope I get to play goalie so I don't have to run a
0: lot. Like that was the extent. Right. And so I actually was, I was on my middle school soccer team for a year. I was not good. I was, I was very, very bad and eventually stopped doing that. But in my brief time on the soccer team, we had games and people who were on the team moderately cared, but the school wasn't all sitting around talking about how the soccer team was doing. I think my high school people did start to care about soccer, but certainly not at age 11 or 12. Yeah. So yes, I'm surprised by the intensity surrounding this soccer game. And she also gets a pep talk from Joe's mom, Ellen. And there's also some other woman who at first I thought was Sam's mom, but I'm pretty sure is not actually her mom. And I think her name might be Wanda, but I don't remember who she is and why she's involved with any of these people.
1: I think that if you watch more episodes of wishbone she is very just like a family friend a friend of joe's mom okay. who's just i think she's like in as much as the world of
0: wishbone can have like a wacky neighbor character i think she's okay it. i mean the wacky neighbor character is clearly wishbone but well, yes <laughs> but <laughs> like clearly the wacky neighbors are the ones who have this dog that they take everywhere who tries to teach classic literature hey it's perfectly normal So Ellen reassures Sam by telling her own sports triumph story. So we get to have women bonding over sports, which which was actually nice. Yeah, but
1: it was also really not a a fascinating story. It was just like, I played softball in college, and one time I was really nervous for a game. But then I played as best as I could, and we won the end. And I was like,
0: this is a motivational talk? It's really not that motivational, but it is it's a nice moment and i suppose maybe if you're 11 and nervous about a middle school soccer game that in the grand scheme of things does not matter maybe that's all you need yeah maybe just someone reassuring you that you can be nervous and it'll still turn out okay Yeah, i mean it's better than everybody else in sam's life being
1: like "Mm, are you sure you can do this sweetie Ooh.
0: Yeah, yeah, that are just being like, yeah, you can do it. I did something once that was involved success in sports. Story, You can too. Story of my life. I did a thing once. <laughs> yes. Wishbone, however, has the, ins- but the much more inspiring, leave the charge and win the battle, Sam. Because again, this middle school soccer game is exactly equivalent to the Siege of Orleans. Exactly the same. Yes. Yep. <laughs> So we're then brought back to Joan of Arc. A soldier pops up to report to Joan that Lord Talbot and the English are beating back the French troops. And she assures them that if there's a dozen who are willing to fight and are not cowards, that they will win. And there's like a hundred, there are a hundred who will fight to the death for you. And she goes, not me, for France. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which I felt like was maybe their way of trying to hint the direction of like, no, no, she's doing this for a larger cause. That right. For Joan, the important part was France. She was not just a weird, power-hungry young woman. It was for France! Yeah, yeah, yeah. and she had these extraordinarily long, drapey
0: sleeves to her armor. Which did not... Yeah, they seemed overly drapey it's for armor that is meant to be functional. Really impractical. Like, I have yeah. one dress
1: that kind of has bell sleeves, and I never wear it, because the get in everything
0: i mean you certainly can't wear it to eat no but i feel like you also can't wear it to fight no we return to the soccer game and sam scores and her dad is very proud and everybody's happy and the dog is also still at this soccer game which honestly given everything that happens i'm surprised the blast didn't complain like oh there was a dog at the game it distracted us that's why we couldn't play there's
1: nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't be at the game (laughs) yeah no I'm I'm sticking with my theory of just like as long as the dog's well behaved and not causing trouble it's fine yeah nobody cares
0: but that would have been a fun complaint if he was like my goalie wasn't looking at your score he was looking at the dog and that's why we lost I mean if I
1: was that goalie yes I would have been like I did oh
0: yeah sorry clearly.
1: coach I missed the,
0: the ball because there was a really cute dog over there there was a, there was a dog yeah. that that clearly matters way more than this game of 11 year olds playing soccer yes sincerely yes Dog. back in medieval france the war continues the french are besieging a castle held by the english a setup that i will talk about later <laughs> and thus far are proving unsuccessful joan gets shot with an arrow which they do explain at the end of the episode how they did that yeah, it was very cool <sighs>
1: yeah the arrow is made of paper i was very just like oh just immediately she's just injured immediately huh it's almost Ooh. like this teenage girl didn't really have any like
0: Battle skills. Hmm. Weird. I mean, she doesn't. She's just like God. She's like God told her to lead an army. Yeah,
1: and she just like runs. do about it. She's like, here
0: I go. Oh, narrowed. Yeah, yeah. So she gets shot. Uh, however, she does then rally everybody to defeat the English, and yeah. they are successful. She's- and Wishbone's dog armor is adorable. She says the
1: line, "England will never rise from this blow." And like, it's well, like, oh, I know, I was like, mm, now France might have held their ground, but I think there are some other countries that might be like, mm, looking straight to camera in response to that. Have you seen England? Yeah, like, okay, I think India and Hong Kong and the Falklands and Scotland would all just like to throw some two cents there at you, Joan.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean and for that matter of like what is now the United States it's not like didn't also at some point have to Mm -hmm. fight a you know bloody war against the English England shall never rise from this blow (laughs) also it took them another like 25 years to get the English out of France but that's fine Uh, you know she's a kid
1: she's an enthusiastic kid
0: yeah she's very happy Mm -hmm. it's it's fine you know they won it's nice yes
1: I want to ask one more like historical accuracy question because she's like England will never rise. And one of the soldiers says like, all thanks to Joan of Arc. And in her day, was she already known as Joan of Arc? Because I wasn't sure. I know that a lot of times people with like, that we refer to now with like a historical title didn't necessarily get that until like little ways after they died.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I think she was actually Joan the Maid. I'll have to double check. Yeah, the Maid of Orleans. I'm gonna check, but I'm pretty sure she was referred to as Joan the Maid in her lifetime. Yeah, like I don't think that anybody was like,
1: hey, Attila, Attila the Hun, can you come here for a minute? Right. Because we gave him that name afterwards. History
0: gave him that name later. It's also, this is a weird little like linguistic pet peeve of mine, but since they're spending so much time being like, rah, rah, we're French against the English, I kind of wish they'd gone with Jean. Yeah. Instead of calling her Joan. But also, I'm, I'm glad that none
1: of those local community theater actors were doing French accents the entire episode. Oh, yeah.
0: And so oh, that clearly would oui, have been oui. bad. Oh, yeah. No, that would have been atrocious. And I'm glad they didn't do that. But I do feel like they should have, like, made some nod to the fact that her name would have not would have been pronounced differently. What is, because again, didn't do any research. What is the, of art? of joan of arc what is that actually is her father's name her father okay. is jacques d'Arc. Got it, got so it. it's it is technically her name it's just i don't think that's the primary way people refer to her sure. yeah okay all right still again because i did no research <laughs> this is weird <laughs> yeah her yeah that actually her father is jacques d'Arc. So, like that, so that actually is like, it is her last name. It's just as I said, it's not the way you most often hear people talking about her at the time. Right, cool, cool. OK, all right, we can keep move past it. So we have the soccer game. And of course, the score is 1-1 because it's a soccer yeah. game. <laughs> and that's always the score of every yeah, soccer game. Yeah, I was game. like, well, oh, this is the most realistic part of the episode about anything. Right? There's that. However, I do hate the fact that, OK, I guess they decide that the whole dynamic that it's 1-1 and now you have to have a shootout is too confusing. So we have to solve that by having the like the women, except for Ellen Joe's mother, who we've established is a former athlete. But the other women, Wanda and the woman who I think is supposed to be David's mother, are both like, "What's happening?" And it's like it's not that hard to figure out. No, it says right there on the scoreboard. Yes,
1: and like I'm sorry, your your kids have been on this soccer team the whole season, right?
0: Is right. this the first
1: tie that there's been? Mm, that seems unlikely. And
0: if that is david's mom then that means that her husband's the coach right but we've already established that he didn't read the rule book well true but he at least understands the basics of the rules of soccer yes as far as we can tell if not the rules of the league right so they have no idea what's going on so i'm like come on do we really have to have like the women being like what's a sport
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) see each team sets up a goalie and then has five penalty kicks and then I feel like there were not as many people on each of the soccer teams in this episode as there were on the soccer yeah. teams that I played on as, at a similar age. Right. So on, e- on each side where we saw the people lining up to take the pet, like Joe was, Joe was assigned to be the goalie for his team for the penalty kicks. Right. Which I was like, oof, bad choice because Joe sucks. But he's the goalie the whole game, isn't he? Yeah, but I just Joe in general sucks, so I'm anti Joe. Pro Wishbone, anti Joe. I mean
0: that's that's fair. Constantly. He's just he's just is I think the only person with any practice being the goalie on their team, presumably. Yes,
1: but we see him set up as the goalie, but then we also see him taking a penalty kick towards the opposing goal. Yes, I was goal.
0: wondering about yes, that. The goalie wouldn't normally do those penalty kicks, would they? No, not that I remember. Yeah, yeah that seemed wrong to me. Yeah.
1: But then of course we have the climactic sort of it's all tied up and it's down to the last penalty kick. And Sam steps up to the ball and kicks it <laughs> to into plate. the goal. And <laughs> then it's like goal. And then she rips off her t-shirt and everybody's scandalized at her sports bra. Just kidding. <laughs>
0: and the sore loser coach of uh, the, the very terrifying The Blast, who now I'm convinced like they're never that good. They just always win because their coach is an asshole and mm-hmm. keeps, un- and keeps uh, like sore loser protesting yeah. all of the other team's Ooh, victories. I,
1: I wasn't even clear immediately that he was the coach of the other team. So I was just like, who the fuck is this? old man asshole who comes up and he's like congratulations on scoring the most points Mm, you do realize of course that you're totally against regulations ha 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 congratulations young lady he's like talking directly to sam and like congratulating her and then being like but of course i'm gonna have to file a complaint with a big shit-eating grin on his face Yeah, yeah just
0: fuck you dude he's just like cartoonishly evil yeah and and then,
1: so it turns out that the coach, who's like, no, I submitted her name on the roster, you know, before the game, the asshole coach is like, oh, but it has to be 48 hours before the game. And it was probably like 40 or something. Yeah, and I'm just like, okay, so our our good guy coach, he had his kids reading to him out of the rule pamphlet being like, no, no, you, we can totally add her to the roster. And then he didn't bother to, like, flip to that page himself right. and see where it said 48 hours because they definitely, yeah. like, he knew that she was going to be joining his team more than 48 hours before the game. So right, because I not understand the why he
0: delayed, right, because it actually says explicitly that the practice, which is where he decides, okay, she can, cu- she can be on the team, yeah. that's on Tuesday and the game is Friday. Yeah. So he totally had time to do it in time. He dropped right, the ball. I feel like even if he'd done it Wednesday morning, that
1: should have been enough. He dropped the ball, so to speak. Ha 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 ha. And that means that, like, all of this sort of like bad feeling and pressure and blame is so likely to fall on Sam's shoulders. She's right. this poor like pre-adolescent girl who's like, oh my God, it's my fault that the game score is nullified. No, it's the fucking coach's fault. He is an adult. He is supposed to be the responsible one. And he screwed up on like a really basic
0: thing. Right. Just read the rules. Figure out what they are. As I said, you had plenty. He had plenty of time. It's not like this guy broke his leg or whatever he did like an hour before the game. Mm -hmm. Had plenty of time. And he's just like, oh, come on. So like, you
1: know, I might not have sent it in in time, but like, it's the spirit of things. And I'm like.
0: I mean, he's not wrong in the sense that the yeah. other guy is being unnecessarily an asshole. Yeah. But it's also like, just follow the rules, though. At no
1: point does he just, like, own up to the fact that it was his mistake. Yeah. At no point does he say, like, oh, shit, mm, I guess I didn't read the rules clearly, slash couldn't get my act together to fucking send a letter in the mail by Wednesday. That's not right. me. This is my fault. I'm sorry, everybody. At no
0: point does he say that. And in real life, there would be other parents who are on the team who are mad that he screwed up, and that because of that, they look like they lost their win. Yeah. So just just as Sam had a victory, but her victory ultimately is undermined. So too. does Joan get captured in war in the middle of an actual war, taken prisoner and sentenced to death after an unfair trial. It's the it exact exactly the same. same thing. Yep. Louis slash Wishbone comes to visit her, although noticing that those English dogs, as opposed to the French dogs, yes. trying to stop him. So, so I, my explanation to this is that because he is a dog, the English dogs as opposed to the English humans that were the ones who were responsible for trying to prevent him from coming in. But Jack Russell Terriers are English dogs. Yes. Like, what what's the, What kind of dog do you think the English dogs are? Like, are they, like, Hi. English bulldogs? I though? would go with English bulldog, yeah. So that's that's what we can assume. Joan says that she's happy that her country will be free, even though she's going to die. She asks Louis to write to her parents and says they should all, they should, like, sit together and imagine that they're under this tree that they, like, together back home in Dom Remy. Yes, their special, special tree, which...
1: I don't know if that's part of Mark Twain's story. I figure you asking. That even. is, I'm pretty sure,
0: part of Mark Twain. Because
1: it's such... And honestly, I've really kind of only read the same Mark Twain books that everybody's read or whatever, seen the TV adaptations of in the 90s. But it seems like such um, like mushy YA colorful detail to be like hmm Katniss and Peeta oh sorry just kidding I mean Joan and Louie used to sit (laughs) underneath a special tree and it was their special place where they were friends together and then later when Joan's gonna die she's like hmm please remember our special friendship tree I was like
0: Mark Twain was really writing this for teenage girls I guess well that's the thing is that I was so I was saying before that Mark Twain is like this is my best book and everybody else (laughs) reading is like buddy Buddy, uh-uh. And I think one of the criticisms, in fact, was that it just felt, like, really sentimental. Yeah,
1: I'm seeing that in the Wishbone adaptation, so I'll, I'm will i on the side of the Mark Twain critics, I guess. Not that yeah. I think it's a bad thing to be sentimental. I just think that it's a fair thing, to, a fair bit of feedback.
0: Right. It clearly, it clearly does not have the cutting wit of many of Mark Twain's other works. Sure, sure, sure. It's no bullfrog contest or whatever the fuck he wrote
1: (laughs) (laughs) he had some frog contest i haven't is
0: that in huck finn
1: uh it's one of his short stories he's got a short story that's something about frog jumping i haven't read him in a while
0: i read twain and i read very i read various twain in high school and i don't think i have since actually so yeah
1: So so somebody who's listening right now is like screaming
0: the actual thing. (laughs) Right. They're like, it's the thing. Yeah. My research was mostly related to things that happened in the Middle Ages. I really just briefly looked up this novel for one or two things to see if that's where they got them from. And often it was. But yeah. Hmm. And
1: uh, oh, and this was the scene where her hair is finally cut. And honestly, like I was surprised that the scene where she went to battle, it looked like her hair had not been cut yet. Like I would cut my hair short before I went into battle. But I was like, oh, no, it wasn't until she was captured and like put on trial. Like, yes, obviously they will cut all her hair off.
0: Well, it's forcibly cut before she gets burned at the stake. Exactly.
1: Because nobody wants to (laughs) smell all of that burning hair. Am I right? Yeah. Stinky. Every
0: time I burn a witch at the stake, I'm like, P.U. Yeah, I think they actually did uh, cut people's hair. Uh, and they usually like cut it all the way off. Like they basically like shaved, like right. semi shaved your heads. But yeah. I believe that actually was common to be done before burning people is at thing. the stake. It makes sense as sort of a humiliation tactic. as yeah. Right. And honestly, probably
1: also the burning hair smell. Real- well, I mean, I'm sure that burning human flesh does not smell super great either. You know, I've never thought about it. I mean, or maybe
0: it smells delicious. I honestly like just the other. I mean. I just watched. I will just say, the, why would it smell different from other burning flesh, well, which I don't, does actually smell kind of good? I think cooking meat smells good. I think burning meat smells burnt. True. But I did true. just
1: finish watching the uh, Ask the Mortician YouTube video about the Donner Party. So maybe cannibalism <laughs> is like fresh in my mind. <laughs> But I would think that the smell of burning flesh would... I mean, I don't know. Like, the screams would probably drown out
0: the smell. Well, I know yeah. they're different
1: senses, but still, if something but you is... would be
0: focused on the screams uh, of the person yeah. being burned at the stake. The yes. sound of, like, the crackling
1: skin and fat. Yeah.
0: Too graphic?
1: <laughs> Anyways. Right. So the next I thing... I mean,
0: it is, I will say, like, you see her being burned at the stake, which I feel like is a lot for something geared at, like what nine-year-old children ish something uh, like yeah. young children yeah this is a bbs kids show this is dark like you you see her in the fire right yeah i mean yeah not like not I mean, it's not the most yeah. graphic like it's not like in so like the opening of the movie elizabeth does like a really intense like burning at the stake scene mm-hmm. and this isn't that but it is not uh, like it's you can tell she's being burned at the stake which right. feels like a lot yeah and they honestly i did feel a little bit like they rushed through that part
1: of it like they they dwelled on the whole like she met with the king and she got an army and she was victorious in battle and that was really like the meat of the episode and then they get to the end and wishbone's like anyways and then she was put on trial and died burned at the stake uh moving on so let me that tell you a about part of soccer. the story that
0: they wanted to emphasize
1: par- Ur, i'm chewing on a frisbee or a dog
0: like <laughs> pay no attention to that burning young woman over there so joan being burned at the stake and dying at age 19 is exactly the same <laughs> as their soccer team having their victory ripped away from them by because of this dumb rules violation it's exactly the same it's just really just close parallel i can't believe nobody ever thought of this before actually yeah for real
1: although i do once we finish the recap want to talk to you about how come this is not the only sort of modern parallel using joan of arc that decides to go like for athletics as the parallel
0: to mm. battle
1: so Interesting. yeah we're coming up on the part where we do have our sex our one like calling out gender of the episode because they're at the sort of soccer board hearing which also seems like yeah. way more
0: formal than it ought Although to be I will say, it is clearly just like one dude's office yeah and i'm not even a hundred percent sure that i would say it's definitely an office which is like the office of the league as opposed to just this guy who's like at work and this and he has an actual job but in his like side thing he's like the commissioner yes. of this like kids soccer league he's like the county comptroller and also does right. soccer
1: but yeah so the coach is like i tried to follow the spirit of the rules like which again he's not just acknowledging that he fucking made a mistake and apologizing and then he's like no sam wants to make a speech and sam makes a little speech about like friendship and teamwork and how the real soccer game were the friends that we made along the way and the coach of the other team is like yeah but she's the one that made the only goal during the game and she's the one that made the winning goal during the kickoff And then the coach, David's dad, says, do you mean to suggest to me that this player who has only participated in girls' recreational soccer is the only reason we won? And it's this sort of incredulous, like, she's only played on a girls' team before. Are you saying that a girl is why we won? How dare you, good sir? And
0: then he pulls off a glove and slaps the other guy across the face. And it definitely also seems like he's trying to like use like wield misogyny to his advantage in this. I guess. In a way yeah. that's like really uncomfortable especially because she's right there and it's like no I mean she made a legit point with the whole teamwork thing yeah. and you don't know what would have happened but also she was the crucial player in the game. Like yeah. she clearly would have won MVP. Yes. They decide that, so because of that, the whole game doesn't, like, that the blast actually wins, which I feel like is bullshit. Yes. That they should have, like, made them replay the game or something, but there's no way to know that... Oh, well, if she hadn't been in the game, they would have lost. Like, maybe somebody else would have been in that forward position and they still would have made the goal because what actually happened is that, like, their team's goalie fucked up. I mean, like, if you're an unlicensed driver and you're driving around and another
1: car hits you, you're still ruled entirely at fault because you shouldn't have been on the road without a license. So obviously this is the same. They They were an illegal soccer team against regulations. There's no way that they would have been... And frankly, again, because it looked like they barely had enough players to have a full that's team. That's true.
0: That they would have had to just forfeit they, if she hadn't been on the team. I feel like they would have had to. So. Mm. Yeah. So I guess that's what they're going for. Yeah. But it just, it seems kind of bullshit to me that it's just an automatic, clearly you fail as opposed to you have to replay the game. I, I agree that it's
1: utter bullshit. Also, realistic and valuable life lesson for these children. Yeah. That people suck. Yeah, that people suck. And that sometimes, even when the fair thing would be for you to get what you want, you won't. Because yes. bureaucracy is bullshit. And so
0: is the English, because this is just like Joan of Arc <laughs> yep. being t- having an unfair trial right. and then being murdered. No, and I just want to ask if
1: something like historical accuracy. So in the real timeline of Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. where she was unfair trial burned at the stake after she was burned at the stake did the rest of the french people go like oh but you know what let's have a pizza
0: party and then they all felt better (laughs) they did not oh there was there was not the pizza party on the ashes of joe of joe's This show corpse i guess historically inaccurate then (laughs) just check Not real. I mean, I guess there there could be an argument that it was her wrongful death, which was an inspiration, which helped the French eventually win the war and drive out the English. So that's kind of like having a pizza party. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really the same. It's the same. <laughs> so yes, they have a pizza party that Wishbone is very happy yes. about. Also, like, I find it really interesting that of the three kids, apparently it, two of them have single parents uh yeah it does appear that way yeah I'm sure it was
1: I you know I wonder if it would have been like a conscious choice or not but I do feel as though
0: when this show was I think this episode was 1995 yeah well
1: just the show was on from 1995 to 1998
0: and yeah somebody else
1: other than me is free to look up like statistics in America about like the rise of divorce but I feel mm-hmm. like like when I was a kid when i was say eight or nine years old in 1988 1989 Mm -hmm. my parents had been divorced for long enough that it felt normal to me because i did not actually have a lot of solid memories of them being together but it was apparently unique enough that i definitely had friends who would ask me questions like oh man what's it like to have your parents be divorced Mm -hmm. it was maybe just starting to become more common for there to be like the single parents the latchkey kids That kind of a thing in the late 80s, early 90s. And so obviously Wishbone, PBS, like really out here to support these latchkey kids coming home, watching a show they can identify with. Mm -hmm. The real wooden sexist young boy and his charming Mm. and hyper young dog. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was like, we don't get a ton from Joe out of this whole episode, but I just judged him so no, harshly. Joe's really
0: like a non
1: character. Joe's a non character, which means that while we have very little to judge him on, I will judge him on that opening scene where he's like, yeah. Sam can't play, she's a girl. And then David's like, but she's really good. And then he's like, mm, good like, idea, she should play. Hey,
0: what if you did join the team, Sam? I just had a great idea, Sam. <laughs> You should I mean, that's it. actually the most likely thing is that Joe takes full credit for this as a white man rather than giving any credit to either Sam, who is a girl, or to David, who is black. Right. Like, that's clearly the most likely scenario. Right.
1: So then he is, like, the equivalent of probably, like, the king of France being like, I won the battle against England. Me. <laughs> just
0: to bring it back to those really solid historical parallels. They're, they're really just... This, um, the parallels are spooky, actually. I mean, the way in which the present repeats the past—it's just—it's shocking. I wanted to talk about these sports
1: parallels when you yes. initially reached out to me about watching this episode about Joan of Arc. I mentioned that I had just finished rewatching all of the Bill and Ted movies because, of course, the new mm-hmm. one just recently came out. And in the first movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which you mentioned you had not seen and still have not seen, no, they. Are time traveling around, gathering historical mm-hmm. characters to help them with their historical report, so that they can graduate high school. Uh-huh. And one of the people they grab is Joan of Arc. And there mm-hmm. is a scene where they've sort of taken all of their historical figures to the mall. And each historical figure finds a thing in the mall that they sort of gravitate towards that very much, like, somehow has an affinity towards their, you know, historical characteristics. So you've got, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Beethoven finds, like, the piano in the mall music store and is, like, playing the piano. Uh But Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc finds, like, a mall fucking aerobics class and ends Mm -hmm. up kind of taking charge of it and is leading this group of ladies in aerobics. Sure. It always kind of rode me the wrong way. I tried to explain it to my boyfriend when we were rewatching the Bill and Ted. And he was like, no, I mean, it seems fine. Like people were into aerobics in the eighties. And I was like, I don't think that you maybe are as aware as I was of how much like Jane Fonda workout tapes were really the butt of a joke. And something to be mocked and something that was very associated with women and therefore
0: laughable and bad and dumb and not serious. Right. This actually seems like it's better in the sense of emphasizing the fact that she is taking on a traditionally masculine role in some ways. But in each case, what we have is,
1: oh, middle ages going to war shooting arrows chopping people's heads off fighting for your life and forgotten country is the same as nowadays when you play sports or try to lose weight right? Um, just general athleticism and right it seems like i do kind of get the parallel like yeah modern sports might be the closest thing we have to medieval battles but i don't know i just kind of wondered your take yeah. on that of them being like hmm, what would joan of arc be doing now obviously something athletic like no right. i mean she was called by god to go to battle if she
0: was here yeah. now like what would god be calling her to do now right i mean if we're talking about athletics as a analogy for militarism more broadly it kind of makes sense in the sense that to actually be a professional soldier, which in a second, which Joan isn't really, which I'm going to men- get to in a second. So if you're talking about in a general sense, if you had a medieval knight come forward in time, they don't have a lot of skills that might be obviously applicable in the modern world and athleticism might be one of them. Like that I could see. But Joan, although she's she's really more of a leader than she is an actual particularly talented fighter. Right. She's really an inspiring leader, and she's inspiring because she's called by God. I mean, I feel like the actual place you would see Joan would be in, like, an evangelical megachurch speaking in tongues. Or, honestly. Or like at, like, a Black Lives Matter rally if you wanted to take, like, a nicer uh,
1: approach. I mean, I was just thinking, I mean, she would be an influencer of some sort. She'd be a lifestyle influencer. Joan of Arc would be, like, live, laugh, love.
0: If you wanted to have the more like a, ag- I guess, like, mark would be intensity. hashtag blessed. <laughs> ha- hashtag blessed. Um, she also she, a she would be
1: married and she would be a boy mom.
0: <laughs> so I, I do want to say that there are things about Joan that are like arguably subversive or that were perceived as such, and so that I could see her being like involved in some kind of like protest movement. I think yeah. that could be valid, yeah, and that she would be inspiring in that context. It seems to me like kind of
1: it seems like minimizing what she was all about and like reducing her to just
0: yeah. the most surface element to be like, oh, well, sports, obviously, yeah. and it's also something that really seems to be linked to the fact that when you have a lot of these modern depictions of Joan of Arc, including this one, they go very heavy on the, look, she's a woman and she was in a battle aspect, and really light on the, she is fundamentally a religious figure, yes. which is something that I'll be talking about more in the upcoming segments.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the other media that I have seen telling the Joan of Arc story was like don't actually think i even watched the whole movie but i've seen like part of that lily sobieski movie from like i don't know the late mm-hmm. 90s right
0: i uh, actually have not seen that oh, yet, I, although at some point i probably have okay. to. i was gonna look at the name of it but you're aware it exists you know the thing i'm yeah. talking about
1: yeah and I yeah just, i remember
0: when that came out
1: and i kind of just remember the scene of like her in church alone praying sort of with the beam of light shining on her and very like godliness
0: and that really i think is to some extent the better portrayal of joan of arc in some ways rather than just focusing on the like look she's in a battle yeah now i'm gonna get into some of the things that they got right and wrong i cannot wait to hear what they got right First in the Vera et Falso segment where I'm going to be doing a few kind of little things and then in the next section I'll delve into specifically Joan of Arc and how, how that all went. First of all, okay, the Hundred Years of War. We are definitely in the middle in the or well towards the end of the Hundred Years War. So the emphasis on it being this lengthy conflict does make sense since it had begun in 1337. It's now 1429 and the Hundred Years War is actually not a hundred years. It's like 116 years. So even the Hundred Years War is not historically accurate. Wow.
1: Well, the liberties chill. that get taken.
0: Oh, that's, that's, a, that's at least a regular liberty <laughs> that gets taken. Yeah. But it's always called the Hundred Years War and it's like, well, it's... It's like the long Hundred Years' War, I guess. Baker's Hundred Years. Right? What this war is actually about is that it's a war over basically who has the right to rule France. And it's not that the English are just popping over and being like, hey, I'm going to conquer you like they do with, you know... India and a whole bunch of other places. Like everywhere else. Historically. It would be so Sorry. out of character for England to do that. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yeah. But in this particular case, they actually have a somewhat valid claim, which is that English kings, starting with Edward III, had been claiming that they get to be the kings of France due to the fact that Edward's mother, Isabella, is the daughter of King Philip IV of France. And essentially, <laughs> basically, the way things go is that after a couple of Isabella's brothers that line dies out and they go to some cousins and based on the English perspective they actually have the better claim by their understanding of primogeniture the French however have something called the Salic law which means that no claims made via a woman count. I can't decide if I'm like
1: on board with that or no because on the one hand very dismissive of women but on the other hand yep. supporting the idea that women are not tools and property to be used as pawns in your
0: games of land so eh. mm. it seems to mostly be a thing that they basically trot out when they realize that they're not happy about a possible succession situation I mean right I, obviously so. it's just
1: one of those like convenient like we keep this rule book in the yeah. back for when we need it and the fact that the English were like hey no 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 like my my grandpa married one of your princesses so actually we own your country now is like right yeah I mean I'm not super on board with that logic Right, And I'm just generally aware enough of history that I do know there was a ton of like, okay, we got to marry the person from that country, because then we'll own that country. But right. how come it doesn't mean that then that country owns you? Oh, because of the man. Hmm, okay. Yeah, well, that's dumb. Right. Kind of on board with the, the French rule that you can't just,
0: Hi, I claimed your woman, so I own your country now. <clears throat> right, and especially, I will say also, it's, it's sort of uh, there's a there's a little bit of added weirdness given the fact in this particular case that isabella the woman herself is a slightly controversial figure because she definitely had her husband murdered well that wasn't uncommon of the time right people were having each other murdered left and right yeah but everybody knew she had her husband murdered which made it slightly different all right i mean he probably deserved it i'm sure he had it coming i mean kinda he certainly like he wasn't a good ruler and she actually was probably a better one so there is that. Yeah. And he was probably like yeah. a jerk to her. He he seems to have mostly had a long period where he kind of ignored her and probably preferred men. Aha.
1: Uh-huh. She's like, ignore me, will you? <laughs> Which is the movie that I haven't seen, but I'm aware of through cultural osmosis. A fatal attraction yeah yeah like she tried boiling his bunny and that didn't work so then she had to kill him
0: right so it's, it's a dynamic that gets like super exaggerated in some gross homophobic ways in braveheart actually uh, you know i haven't seen that there's a lot of movies mm. that i'm just like i've seen enough clips and i
1: know the, yeah, i know you the elevator like, pitch you know, what I, and yeah. then unfortunately there's a lot of classic movies that i like definitely should have seen for sort of cultural appreciation and maybe learning a little bit of history through movie but then i waited too long to see the movie and then now i know the person yeah. that was heavily involved in making the movie is like a horrible piece yeah. of garbage so yeah. um it makes it really hard to go back and watch at all to begin with if yeah, i at some point get around to watching schindler's list which like i'm a very bad jew mm. i never watched it i also have never watched schindler's list and because i am a terrible dude. i keep thinking like i should get around to watching that and then i'm like oof, liam neeson horrible right. racist <laughs>
0: And also just like, when are you really like, fuck, I want to sit down and watch a really depressing movie about the Holocaust. And if I'm going to do that, I'll watch Life is Beautiful. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, nobody's a terrible racist. So, as far who as, as. was
1: involved in the making of the movie. I, you know, Roberto Bonini seems like a delightful man. Yes, he does. Yes. He seems lovely. So, I don't think I ever heard him talk in an interview about how he used to just go walking at night looking for black people to kill.
0: Yeah, that's something. That's a, that's a real plot. Yeah,
1: that's. My favorite people are the people who have never done that.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's uh, really, you know, really one of our lower bars for uh, for people, but, you very, know. Very, I I'd never
1: used to think that the bar would
0: have to get that low but you know but here we yeah. are in 2020 yeah i here denounce white
1: supremacy how about you
0: yes i too denounce white supremacy it wasn't that hard so I, I don't understand why certain people are really struggling with being able to say i denounce white supremacy Super weird the proud boys so, yeah. are fucking neo-nazis they're modern day yes, fascists they are. but they're standing
1: by <laughs> yes they are. don't worry i'm really in love with the uh reclaiming of the proud boy hashtag going on right now on gay twitter it's a (laughs) chef kiss it's very good
0: yeah it's fun there are fun things happening yes amid the terrible things happening
1: i just i i like i don't even know what's going to happen in the next 12 24 36 hours of the world and i don't even know when this episode comes out but i just want to say that like (laughs) i have a bottle of sparkling wine in my fridge that's been there for maybe five years like when I helped my mom move into an assisted living facility and was clearing oh. out her old kitchen there was this bottle of Prosecco and I was like I'll put that in my fridge and I was gonna pop it open when Hillary was gonna win and she didn't didn't open yep. it still in my fridge I kind of don't think that it goes bad I'm not enough of a wine person I'm definitely gonna fucking pop that bubbly if Trump dies <laughs> of coronavirus <laughs> I'm just gonna say I'm it now I'm saying it on the record. <laughs>
0: right yeah i wonder if i have any fun alcohol i can open up if trump dies it's good to have a celebration in mind when you've got a
1: bottle of bubbly in the fridge like what am i saving this for Yeah.
0: yeah might just be that I have to go out and buy a bottle of champagne. Sure, yeah, it's not
1: like it's hard to go out. It's a little bit harder to go out and buy a bottle of champagne now than it used to be, but it's not
0: that hard. It occurs to me that actually I am pretty sure, based on my own schedule, because I try to record things in advance, I am pretty sure this is not coming out until after the election. Oh, God! (laughs) (laughs) So this will be an interesting time capsule. Uh, if he (laughs)
1: survives, I'll pop it open when Biden wins. Not I, I do feel like that's a bit of a jinx because I super was going to pop it open with Hillary one, but right. I don't know.
0: I'm
1: not superstitious, so this is going to
0: happen. Yeah, we'll just... Woo, Anyway, I'm nervous about this election. Anyway. <laughs> Got a little bogged down there. Identically, the French were very nervous about the English. Uh, it's the same. The other thing that I'm going to say is that, all right, so the French did see the English as being these like weird foreigners who had shown up and all of a sudden started like attacking shit in their country. And Joan herself did actually write in a letter to the King of England, I say to you in God's name, go home to your own country. That said, though, the rhetoric specifically of freedom feels a little anachronistic, since for the French peasantry in particular, it's not so much this like abstract, we want French national sovereignty, so much as we'd really like to not be in the middle of a war zone right
1: if you're at the very bottom of the food chain it doesn't make a ton of difference to you who's at the top you just kind of want soldiers to stop tromping through your fields and like randomly killing and raping your women
0: right yeah so there's this understanding that like these soldiers aren't even ours and they don't belong here so the easiest solution actually should be for them to leave and stop bothering us yes but that's not quite the same as being like France, national sovereignty. Right, right, the the blood of angry men. And it is very much that, like, Joan of Arc gets adopted much later as this French nationalist heroine, which is not quite the valence that she would have had during this period.
1: Right, how well known would she have been in France during this period? Like, I don't know how well information was really disseminated across the country, especially when, like, peasants couldn't read and write, and there wasn't, like, a ton of traveling going on very far from where you lived or were born so she was I'm sure you know I mean she was the maid of Orleans so she was known in orleans but where else i mean in provence were they like did you hear about that girl joan in orleans oh my god i heard she got burned at the <laughs> stake because she totally won a battle
0: well because the army is moving around there is some of and she's uh and she's, you know so she's legendary among some of the people that she fought with in particular right and so because of that and because the army those are the people who are moving the most she does end up becoming i would say fairly well known and is this kind of inspiring figure it would be somebody who's the mostly, I would say, probably being talked about among French knights and soldiers, as opposed to just everybody. Right. The
1: other shepherdesses weren't like, Ooh, maybe I should say that God
0: talked to me because they... Apparently not, know. since uh, there doesn't seem to have been a follow up to her. But yeah, so I would say, you know, she does, she does become fairly well known, but the the fact that she is this inspiring Figure and in kind of like and kind of like a religious martyr in some sense for some isn't quite the same as like Vive la France, which is the overall kind of impression that we get here.
1: Was France in this era is Catholic, right? There, it was Catholic. Right? Everybody's Catholic, Catholic. Everybody's, Catholic. Everybody's yeah, is Catholic.
0: pre the pre. Yeah, this anything. is before the Protestant Reformation. I yeah, I didn't research yeah. it. <laughs> I'm not a
1: medievalist. I know the Magna
0: Carta was signed in 800. 1215.
1: Fuck. <laughs> Why do I think 800? What happened in 800? Uh,
0: Charlemagne that... gets crowned as Holy Roman Emperor in 800. Okay.
1: So so I used to have this game. It was called, I think it was called Timeline. Mm-hmm. Like as a, somebody in the field of history, I feel like you would probably be like, this is a fun game that I want to get. <laughs> It came with a bunch of cards. There were like four different colors and the board had four different lines down the board corresponding with the colors for four different eras. So you had Mm -hmm. kind of like prehistoric era, middle ages, something else. And then nowadays, I
0: I haven't Mm -hmm. played it since I was
1: like a kid. And so each... Card had on the front of it a historical thing. So, you know, yeah. dinosaurs become extinct. The Magna Carta is signed. The Wright brothers fly the airplane or And on the back of the card has the date that it happened. And but then you have to you, put it you in. Don't, you don't get to look at the back of the card with the date. Right. So, based on the event on the front, so you take turns placing the cards where you think they go in relation to each other. So, the first card in any category mm-hmm. is easy to place. And then the more cards you get, the more you're like, oh shit. Did this happen before that and
0: after this? And then you can, like, I challenge you to we flip the cards and find out. It was kind of a fun game. I kind of want to do the things so like in the movies where there's people who like get into like a card game or something and have like really high stakes and you don't know that they're really good at it until later. I kind of want to do that to like uh-huh. place this really big bet on me be winning a game of timeline with people who don't know I'm a story. Do it,
1: do it. I'll like find the game and send you a link to it or something. I'm sure they still make it. It was very I'm educational. Sure, yeah. I just remember her like yeah. Magna Carta card. Oh, that goes here. <laughs> Any knowledge I have of history just comes from playing timelines when I was like thirteen <laughs> years old. That's I mean, you know, that's that's fair.
0: Like you're, you know I got a PhD in this, yeah. so like I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time doing this. When you
1: got the card that said like Big Bang, you're like, oh, easy one. There. <laughs>
0: yes. yes. At The beginning. At the beginning. <laughs> Guess it was not a religious game. No. <laughs> science-based.
1: Yes. Although there might have been a card that had to do with Jesus, just because... I mean, he's a
0: historical figure, yeah. It goes in the historical timeline. Yeah, that's fair. So I was going to say one other thing that I think they actually got right about the Hundred Years War is that you've got this, like, refugee dude running around in the beginning, and that is absolutely a thing that happened because, you know, Hundred Years of War, a lot of people are getting displaced as the English armies, but also sometimes the French armies are showing up and burning shit and, uh, t- and, you know, destroying or stealing all of their food. And so people are like on the run and starving. And it's also is legit that her father is at some point super suspicious because a number of those people do like become bandits. Sure.
1: Was it pretty legit that she, as the teenage daughter of her father, the man of the house would have had the kind of persuasive sway over him to be like no come on let's let the guy stay and feed him and her dad instead of being like shut your mouth wench and like giving her the back of his hand instead he's like
0: hmm you make a good point girl yes i will do what you say the complete disregard for women does get exaggerated mm. and uh, that women do have, so have more power in the medieval world than is generally expected. I will admit that I expect it all to be misogyny all the way down. <laughs> not that there isn't misogyny and it's not that it's not fundamentally a patriarchal system, but there, so it's like very common that like, your wife, at least, might have a decent amount of influence in terms of something like that. Right.
1: She would just have to a- say, lie about having a dream about her dead grandma to convince her husband to let her daughter marry the tailor
0: instead of the butcher. Not even necessarily. No, <laughs> I'm not example- actually, like, in terms of... No, in terms of marriage is actually, there is very very much an expectation that women play a pretty central role in, deter- in making those decisions.
1: Sure, I mean, marriage was a business. I do know that marriage was a business arrangement at that time, that the Middle right. the Middle Ages was pre-concept of romantic marriage.
0: Right, and women are very much involved in a lot of particularly family businesses and that being one of them. And, this, and so the, there's actually interesting examples of this on an elite level too that uh, so one of my favorite people Eleanor of Aquitaine who is the actually she she was the mm-hmm. queen of France and then the queen of okay. England because she uh, had her marriage to the king of France annulled and then married the person who became the king of England. Catherine Hepburn. Yes fabulous and so Eleanor in the events after the lion in winter she ends up basically being the person who gets picked by the person who at that point is the king of France to go to Castile, which is one of the kingdoms in what's now Spain. Where
1: they make all the soap.
0: Right, and pick out one of her granddaughters for the King of France's son to marry. And she just like, she goes, she just like, she goes there and she like talks to the girls and she like picks the one out. And she then like, and then like deposits her and says, you're marrying this one. And he says, great. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so like women, women do have a lot of uh, roles in, in the family and they often do have a lot of influence What's a little stranger is that children in particular would not have quite as much influence. I mean she you know as I, it's it would make more sense normally for her mother to have maybe that kind of influence as opposed to her. but I think it is valid for Joan given that she seems to have like not taken shit right I mean she also basically just was like God told me to go and do this so I'm just gonna go and she like goes and she just convinces a bunch of random men like, no, I'm you should just let me do this. It's fucking wild. Right. And so. I'm, I'm
1: forgetting that at this point she would have been having these visions for like 3 years already. Yeah. And her dad's like, "Oh god, just fucking yes, shut up, fine."
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think it's is, it is legit for Joan in particular and I could see other women having that kind of influence and in particular women being in this position where they like plead with their husbands to give charity because it's a good thing to do like that's actually to some extent even like a trope that like women are this positive influence supposedly on men which is misogynist in its own way yes. but which does imply some aspect of women having influence within the household
1: right yeah I, I, I do understand it's a lazy mindset for me to fall back on when I'm watching anything set pre nineteen seventy and I see a woman doing anything and I'm like, no, the men the
0: men would not be letting her do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, women women were allowed to do lots of things. No,
1: I just you know depending on your point in history, they were either allowed to do lots of things
0: or almost nothing. They were allowed to do something. Some things. But you know yeah I work on women's economic activities in what uh, in Catalonia in the 13th and 14th centuries so I have like thousands of contracts that are like women buying and selling property and women making loans but meanwhile in America in say the 1950s a woman couldn't like get a credit card Oh yeah it's actually worse than yeah. that like women actually have fewer rights in America in the 1950s than they did in Catalonia in like the 1350s mm-hmm. that makes so, sense that makes sense yeah. Yeah, which is also like, I, I tend to like get very frustrated at these like assumptions about like linear progress. It is, I think, human nature to fall back on assuming linear progress. Mm-hmm. I fall back on that assumption a lot. But as a historian, I'm like, there's very little evidence for linear progress. I mean, look at America in 2020. Yeah. That's pretty solid evidence against linear progress. Yeah. Sigh. <laughs> oh, America. Something else that they get wrong is. So there's that bit where Wishbone's like, don't the don't our soldiers just run away when they see the English coming? And this is obviously linking up with this stereotype of French cowardice, which is really a post-World War II. She's eating surrender monkeys.
1: Yeah. I can't remember where that phrase was
0: coined i can't either but that is the phrase Mm -hmm. but it's it's all that whole constellation of stereotypes is all like post post world i think post world war ii it's certainly modern it's so dismissive of cheese that it just makes me so angry (laughs) like we should all be cheese eating regardless of whether we surrender exactly don't
1: you don't need to slander cheese just because you think surrendering is bad Seriously, God.
0: she should always be praised. Always. it did get right the name of one of the English commanders. It refers to Lord Talbot, and uh, there was indeed a John Talbot who is nicknamed the English Achilles for his military prowess. Who was one of the uh, English in command at Orleans? So that's that's legit. That is, however, one of the better things about the Siege of Orleans, in that so the siege is the English laying siege to a French city. Mm -hmm. And yet it seems in this movie like it's the French laying siege to the English. It does. That was... um, (laughs) I
1: got the impression that the battle we saw in this episode of television was the... French army reclaiming a piece of property that was being occupied by the English. Die. Yeah, that
0: is what it would make you think. Yes. But in fact, it's like, so So, Orléans had been under siege for like a year, a year and a half. So a very long time, but it is still like a city that is under French control. So to the extent that there is a French attack on a thing that the English are holding, It's that basically the English build these things called outworks. They build these like little temporary forts around the town that they then can launch attacks from. And there was an attack that Joan is involved in, which is where she was wounded, that's on one of these little like English outworks. But the whole visual would have looked really different, like it's not a castle, it's... I feel as though it would be much harder to kind of
1: succinctly show a victorious battle defending a city because if you're right. taking back the city, then you take it and you've got it and you're like huzzah. But if but you're defending right, you, like, it, like get them to stop besieging you. Yeah, you're pushing you, is basically what they did back at them. You're going to the outskirts of town where their army is. Yeah, and you're fighting them and you're just pushing them like a little further back,
0: past the outskirts. And you're like, now don't you come back after this? Right, and you're kind of routing them, as I said, at these like little temporary forts that they've built basically. Yeah. So, like, you basically get them, so basically, like, the victory is that they get them, the English, to retreat and to abandon the siege and to just give up on trying to take Orléans.
1: Yeah, that would be a lot messier to show cinematically in Dallas community theater staging. Right.
0: Though I will say for something that is, like, super low budget, it's not the worst depiction of, like, in theory, how siege warfare would work. It's just not quite right in terms of what was actually, what the dynamic actually was at the siege Orleans. Yeah. But you do see, you know, the importance of archery. You see some siege ladders, like those are legit. (laughs) I don't know. Like I, obviously archers would
1: be trained to sort of like aim for the parts that are not armored on your body. But the fact that she had this like full breastplate and she's like, here we go, I've got my armor on.
0: And is immediately like, oh, the arrow got me right where I don't have armor on. Oh! (laughs) Although that wound actually was real. And fun fact, her confessor at least later claimed that she had predicted the wound in advance. I mean... If I had
1: predicted that I would get wounded, it would probably be in the
0: part where I wasn't wearing armor. Yes,
1: not only that, <laughs> I would predict that I would get wounded in the part where I wasn't wearing armor. But also, if I if I try to put myself in the mindset of somebody who truly did have that level of faith in God, legit believed in heaven, legit believed in sacrifice for my faith mm-hmm. and country and martyrdom and all of that good shit, and I wanted to kind of prove that my predictions carried weight. I'm not gonna say I would jump in front of an arrow, but
0: maybe maybe I wouldn't be like super dodgy. <laughs> and she also, again, you know, in terms of this real person, like she doesn't have military training. Right. She's a woman, she's a young woman who like started getting these visions and God told her to do this. You know, she is not really battle trained in the way that other people might be. If I were going into battle, I would also predict that I would be injured. And I think I would be right. Right? <laughs> it's a pretty safe prediction. Yeah. So that then is going to lead into the next segment, the Historia at Veritas, where I talk a little bit about the real Joan of Arc. So she is indeed the daughter of a peasant from Don Remy and uh, inspired by visions to lead the French against the English. And one of the things also to note is in terms of where she's coming from on this is that Joan is living like right at the center of a war zone. She's like like this town is like right on the frontier between territory that's held by the English and, ter- and territory that's held by the French. And so to some extent it makes a lot of sense that if she's having these mental experiences that they might then be connected in her mind with the war because the war is very, very apparent in her life right? because of where she lives. She arrives at age 16 at the castle of the man who would come to be King Charles VII. She, by the way, before this, there was like another fortress that she went to and the guy was just like, I feel like I don't know what to do with you and maybe you're a witch. And she just talks him into the fact that, no, I'm not a witch. Send me to the, to the Dauphin, to the prince, basically. And at some point he's like, all right, yeah, sure, I guess. So she has, like, apparently, like, managed to, like, talk a bunch of men into a bunch of shit. Yeah, I
1: don't know. Again, hard to wrap my head around having that much
0: faith in God. But also, like, she, I bet, was, like, intense.
1: Yeah, also, I mean, I feel like there's a level of harmlessness uh, associated Mm -hmm. with, like, just being a young... She's just, hi, I'm just an innocent shepherd's girl. What harm could I do? And in the same way that... If somebody brought a dog to your indoor soccer game, you might be like, you know what? As long as the dog's, like, not making any fuss, it's fine. The dog can stay. So that first guy that she talked to might have been like, "Uh, I mean, like, I guess it's not like I am not invested in this, but it's not hurting anything. So I guess go talk to somebody else about it. But I won't burn you at the stake, I guess. Whatever. I can't say for the. Second guy should talk to the Dauphin, who was like, "Hmm, you make a convincing point." I see. Mhm. God, armies, right. yes. Obviously, she was very persuasive to him, but other people that she spoke to just might have been like,
0: "Ah, this isn't this is not worth the pushback." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Potentially, but he also like he's in a weird position, much more so even than what's implied in the show. Because so his father has died like four years before, but this dude still hasn't been crowned. Basically because so his father, who was probably not entirely in sound mind at the time that this happened, signed this treaty giving the saying that his heir was going to be the king of England. So kind of agreeing to this. And so some were like, yeah, fuck that. And some people are like, maybe this is because he really knew that his son was illegitimate. And uh, then they like were like, well, and maybe we still don't want the king of England, but like here's a cousin and we will take him. Because of all of this and because of the fact that like the English have been there for like 80 years and have control of a bunch of territory, he still hasn't been crowned. And therefore, despite the fact that he is supposed to be the king, he's still referred to as the Dauphin, so essentially the prince and also is sometimes mockingly referred to as the King of Bourges, referring to the city that, like, he basically has this very small geographical area that he actually has control over. He ends up not actually being crowned until 1429 after Joan has helped to lift the siege at Orléans. So he has a sense, at least ultimately of like actually owing a lot to her and she very much is a and his connection with an alliance with her is actually like really working to enhance his own prestige and reputation which he has like failed to establish. She was also dead at that point, right? No, cuz she does it this cuz the show makes it seem like she dies right after the siege. Yeah, the, are you she telling actually, me the show's not accurate? Sarah. It's not. I'm sorry. <sighs> because uh, yeah, so the siege is in, uh, is lifted in 1429 and she makes it all the way to 1431. Oh, well shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he basically, like, him actually managing to be crowned is very much due in part to the fact that, like, we've had this whole big deal that, like, she's, like, been crucial in lifting the siege at Orléans, and everybody's, okay. like, talking about this person, Joan. Was she just, like, in an English
1: prison for two years, or did, was
0: she... No. Okay, so... No, she was, like, running around with the French armies so, for two years. So she was not captured at the Battle of Orléans? No. Okay. So No, she was captured at a much late I didn't write down where it was, but fine. she was captured like at a significantly later battle. According
1: to Wishbone Timeline, she had her like inaugural battle and was immediately like, ooh, arrow, yoink, captured,
0: oh convicted, yeah, hey. dead. Like so fast. Yeah, yeah the real Joan is running around with the French armies and like at the king's coronation and doing shit for like two years and presumably dressed somewhat masculinely i think i read in the notes that you sent me that one of the
1: accusations against her was cross-dressing basically yeah i mean she's dressed in
0: men's clothes and sometimes like armor yeah because she's in battles yes like you don't want to be wearing a dress in those yeah (laughs) the big other thing is that the show as i've mentioned before really de-emphasizes the religious aspect of all of this and Really, I think to some extent thinking about her as a woman warrior isn't actually the most usefully to think about her as opposed to connecting her with all of these women visionaries in this period who claim this very personal connection with God. Joan also did understand that her mission in these fundamentally religious terms. She describes herself as being sent by the King of Heaven. She, during her trial, states that starting at age 13, she's been guided by a voice from God that she also sometimes identified as, identifies as being linked to an angel and sometimes also talks about uh, appearances and guidance that she has from various saints. Saints Catherine, Margaret, and Michael are the big ones. Uh, At first, the voice just taught her to be good and to go to church often, but then it was like also and then it's like you must like come to basically the part of the kingdom that's actually like under French control and that then like you should like do all of this other stuff. And she says basically that literally every single thing she does, like God told her to do. Like down to the details of battle strategy, like God was like,
1: look, you wanna take a flank over to the east and then you're gonna pinch in from the west and
0: surround them. And then God was like, you need archers in the back. Usually not quite that much detail, but it does say that, like, she does basically keep insisting that like, Yeah, every single thing that I did was specifically under God's direction. They got one of those uh, big tables that's a
1: map with little armies and like a little Mm -hmm. shuffleboard pusher. And she's on one side of the table and God's on the other side of the table. Yeah. He's got the little stick and he's like, you want to push these guys over there? And these
0: guys mm-hmm. will be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically, and like including that she also was like, yeah, no, I'm wearing men's clothes because God told me to. Yeah. She also is amazingly snarky in some of this testimony. At some point, she is she is asked if Saint Margaret spoke in the English tongue, to which she responds, "Why should she speak English when she is not on the English side?" <laughs> <laughs> which, like, good good for you, kid. Yeah. And the other thing is that the trial itself is also really fundamentally about religion. So first of all, the way things work is that there are courts that are fundamentally secular courts and there are church courts and the question of which has jurisdiction depends on a combination of things but basically it's a it's a combination of what the crime is and what the status of the person being tried is so for example if you're a cleric even if you like commit murder you go to a church court because you're a cleric kind of like or at least the church is going to fight for
1: modern times how if a soldier commits murder they're court-martialed in soldier court and if soldier court is like no it's fine what you did then they end up facing no consequences there was a recent case of that i sadly read about so that's cool Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, exactly the same thing cool. with the church courts. But it also is in this particular case has to do with the crimes that you're being tried for, because she doesn't get tried for, say, committing treason against the king, because the English king thinks that he's, you know, her sees himself as being her king. She gets tried by a church court right. because she's accused of heresy, witchcraft, and cross-dressing, which are church crimes. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: super church man. I'm always heresying all over the place. The church better not find me.
0: Yeah, so that's what the crime is. And so it uh, go suddenly, like at the opening of the trial, as they're talking about her, the cross-dressing is actually like really, and the heresy is really what it gets emphasized. So it says that the reputation of this woman had already gone forth into many parts, how wholly forgetful of womanly honesty, and having thrown off the bonds of shame, careless of all the modesty of womankind, she wore with an astonishing and monstrous brazenness and modest garments belonging to the male sex. I would imagine
1: that a lot of the men's garments that she wore showed a bit less chest flesh than your traditional women's garments
0: right I mean, they're probably more modest yeah, just, it's like despite the fact that you have like pants and they can like technically figure out the shape of your legs right. versus a skirt oh my god i can identify
1: <laughs> you as having two legs and not just right. being like a wooden single peg like a little
0: playmobile person <laughs> who's just not got two separate articulate legs scandal yeah so that's basically like that's one of the central like problems and accusations is her wearing men's clothing and then they also add that she uh is going around and was not afraid to perform speak and disseminate many things contrary to the catholic faith and hurtful to the articles of the orthodox belief yeah that basically like her claim that she's like hearing the voice of god and that she's not mediated by any like dudes and also like the kind of the way that she's presenting the voice of God and what God is saying to her. All of that is seen as being just religiously questionable by some individuals. The articles of accusation ultimately called for her to be denounced and declared as a witch enchantress, false prophet, a collar up of evil spirits, as superstitious, implicated in and given to magic arts, thinking evil in our Catholic faith, Schismatic in the article Unum Sanctum, and in many articles of our faith, skeptic and devious, sacrilegious, idolatrous, apostate of the faith, accursed, and working evil, blasphemous toward God and his saints, scandalous, seditious, perturbing and obstructing the peace, inciting to war, cruelly thirsting for human blood, inciting encouraging to war, it to be but shed, they were at war. <laughs> Right. It's that like you you are then inciting the them to like continue the war that they're already in. She it's was like, currently at war when she started doing war. How can they uh-huh. accuse her of inciting it? Right. Yeah. And then and it's also like, y'all started this war. Yeah. I mean the this is these are people who are like these are people who are French but who are collaborating with the English. Right. It's like the, the English started it. Like regardless of who started it, Joan didn't start it. No, she certainly didn't. Oh. No.
1: That's just wild um, to me. Oh, and like, yeah. what, there was something else you said in the list there that I was like, Rrr. they really just threw every charge at her that was yeah. possible. I've already, it's already gone out of my head. There was something that was just like, mm, no, 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 no. That's <clears throat> a big old hypocrite.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's like this intensely long list. It also complains of the fact that she like let people kiss her hands, which implies that she's letting people venerate her like a saint, even though she's like not dead. I mean, from a Catholic
1: standpoint, that's maybe the only thing I'm hearing where I'm like, you make a good point.
0: But it's also like, that's not that uncommon with people who have a reputation for sanctity during their lifetime. Sure. I should start making people, well, maybe not during the pandemic. After the pandemic, I'm going to start making (laughs) people kiss my hand. Yeah.
1: I'll get like a really big ring. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's COVID-friendly.
1: Yes. If you, like, if After you, like sanitize the pandemic. it between every <laughs> kiss. <laughs> After COVID just, like, disappears any day now. It's just going to go away without us doing anything. After that yep. happens. We get a big ring and have people kiss it.
0: She does end up briefly recanting. So basically they, at some point they're like, so all right, now we're gonna transfer you to the secular authorities to be executed because the church is not allowed technically to execute people. They have to transfer you back to the secular government powers in order for you to be executed. Right, I think if the
1: church wants to execute somebody, the way they have to do it is walk outside and say, who will rid me of that meddlesome priest? (laughs) Sure, although that's what the king that's, said. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. That's how. That's how you executed. I got
0: it flipped around. That is how you execute somebody who's a member of the church. That's how you execute somebody who hasn't actually done anything. Like that should justify you being that's, executed. I
1: mean,
0: Peter O'Toole. What can you say? With the way the church works, like they come to these verdicts that declare people guilty and things for which the penalty is death, but like they are not supposed to shed blood. And so because of it, it's this very like letter of the law and not the spirit of the law thing that it's like, so we're not gonna kill you. We're going to walk you over next door to these other people and they're going to kill you. It's the Shabbos
1: goy version of murdering somebody. Exactly,
0: exactly. Like it's like, okay, yes, like it's yeah, exactly. It's a Shabiskoy version of judicial murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are like, okay, so we're gonna do this, and she's like, Oh, fuck, I don't wanna actually die. So she recants. Oh, but then, seriously? Like, Didn't she like get sainthood out? How- is so yeah, so she recants, but then like two days later, she's like, Yeah, no, fuck that. And they come to visit her so she, and she's wearing men's clothing again. She really pants yeah, she's like wearing men's clothing again, and she's like, I talked to Margaret and Catherine, and they were like, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> this means that she then gets to be condemned as not only a heretic, but a relapsed heretic, which means straight to the stake. She then, however, in 1456, so about so tw- like 25 years after she was killed, the pope at that time, Pope Calixtus III, uh, revokes this sentence of heresy. And then many years later, not until the 20th century, she is formally canonized as a saint. It wasn't until the 20th century. Yeah, I fully figured it would have been
1: earlier. In order to be a saint, you've got to have some miracles, right? What were her miracles?
0: So Joan is actually exempt from some of the miracle rules <gasps> because she's a martyr. Oh, okay. Martyrs get a pass, but she also does have some miracles. Uh, it's there's there's some miraculous healings, so. Mm some nuns who got healed from cancer, apparently. And uh, she also healed a woman from tuberculosis and someone who had a hole in her foot.
1: A hole all the way through her foot? That's what it says. Okay, cool. That's something. That's a, that is a to me, that's the significant one. Miraculously cured <laughs> cancer. I'm like, uh, I don't know, spontaneous remission, but a physical hole through your actual foot?
0: I'm like oh, uh, all right that's pretty good yeah it's a miracle yeah some some people okay with leg ulcers but yeah a lot of a lot of healing miracles uh, that joan was ostensibly responsible for it feels
1: like kind of the easiest cop-out miracle to claim like oh i had a fever and then right. i met her and my fever went away
0: it is a miracle the next section the fabula nostra is where we can each come up with a piece of media inspired by this one all right uh, I will to go first? Yeah, you want to go first? What I really want to see is, I want to see a little switcheroo
1: where mm-hmm. it's the same structure and format. You've got Joe and his friends and Wishbone, and you've got flashbacks to the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. only we're just going to, because the storylines are so exactly equal, what the we're, same. What, they're the same. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually say <laughs> that Joe and David are just, they're part of an army, and they need somebody to lead them. And so Sam mm-hmm. is going to lead them into bloody battle. Uh-huh. Um, and Wishbone and Joan of Arc are going to be playing in a big soccer game, France against England. <laughs> 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 like, I just want to see them because, again, because the parallels are so exact, I just want to go ahead That's and very precise. Just flip them and, and reshoot yeah. it.
0: So what I'd like to do is... I think that if we do a Wishbone reboot, I think we should have a lady dog who gets to play the lady roles. Yes. In history. So I want to see the the new Wishbone as actually playing Joan in part because there was not enough dog armor and we need more dog armor. Now, would Joan's friend Louie still then also be played by a dog, so we've just more dogs. I mean we could just have all dogs, but I but I mean or Louie could just be or Louie could be human now and Joan's a dog. Right. So we've got like Louie played by like Adam Driver and then yeah. Dog Joan of Arc. Uh-huh. I'm on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then would, would dog Joan have like a the, the wig? Yeah. Yeah, okay good. It would just have that wig, but you just put it on a dog same now. Wig, yep. Basically the same wig. Yeah, basically the same wig and then just more dog armor. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's really all I want. I really just want to see like a dog in a great costume. Yes.
1: I'll send you my um, a picture of my Jack Russell Terrier in the little oh. costumes that my mom made for my dogs years ago.
0: Dogs in costumes are good. I'm sure you have seen the uh, there is one photo of my dog in costume, which is that I, uh, a couple of years ago, for Halloween, bought my dog a pope costume. I have seen because that. Because her name is Opie. And I was like, she can be popey. And this is a very good joke. It's a very good joke. <laughs> So at this point, we can now move into the Estimatio section, which is where we rate this on a scale of one to five based on whatever criteria you see fit. Well, I mean, we
1: get a bunch of points for Wishbone the Dog and we get a bunch of points, honestly, for the theme song. When I started the episode, it's been a long time since I've like watched any Wishbone. And when that opening theme started, I was filled with an unexpected amount of joy of just like, ah, I love I this. I sang along to mm-hmm. the theme song. one hundred
0: story?
1: 100%. So I just basically have to, like, knock off a point for Joe sucking,
0: so I'll give it four out of five. Yeah. This obviously was, like, not the most historically accurate retelling of Joan of Arc, but also for something that's geared toward, like, nine-year-olds. I don't know. It's not that bad. You know, maybe it would inspire somebody to, like, read an actual book about Joan of Arc. Uh, you know. right
1: but you don't have to take my word for it. I'm kind of surprised it didn't end with sort of that.
0: Yeah, uh, but you know, I mean, so that's that's clearly like kind of the point of Wishbone is that it's like, you know, it doesn't really like tell you that much about what happens in these classic works of literature, but it's like, go read a book for yourself is like very much the whole attitude. So like, I don't, you know, I'll I'll, I'll allow it. (laughs) The thing that is too bad is that in the Middle Ages part, it doesn't actually pass a test that I have. Uh Uh-oh. So I have a test which I've invented, which is the test which is the only thing that is a lower bar than the Bechdel test, Mm -hmm. Oh. which is that there has to be at least one named woman who doesn't die.
1: Oh, yeah, no, we didn't have that. And we don't have that, which is... I mean, I'm trying to think how many named people there were in the
0: historical part there was louis i mean louis, three right so there's joan louis and the king and the king i i think they said his name is charles I, i'll give the king as being a named yeah. character so
1: really a third of the named characters were women
0: true <laughs> but yeah but, it does fail you know, a it's test still... over not dying it does, does fail that test. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, you know, there's a dog and the dog's wearing armor yeah. and it's very cute. Yep. So I'm going to, I'm going to come down at a four. <laughs> Such a fair rating. <laughs> it has a, it's a little I mean, wild. my criteria is very subjective. <laughs> the
1: fact that Wishbone as a show really was kind of like, oh, we're encouraging kids to like, want to learn more about this and go pick yeah. up the book, right? In the same way that Reading Rainbow would have like, like, oh, here's a little right. book report. Go check out the book. But like Reading Rainbow, which was a show for, on pbs for kids same as wishbone was Mm -hmm. i felt like the books were a bit more age appropriate they're like hi we're a show we're a show for like eight-year-olds and we're recommending a book that's like appropriate for an eight-year-old and wishbone was like we're a show for like 11-year-olds we're recommending a book that would be like on your college syllabus go read the Count of monte cristo why don't (laughs) you
0: <laughs> right, yeah, There actually is a Hunchback of Notre Dame episode, yeah. which is also medieval. Right. Uh, the hunch the dog of Notre oh. Dame. So, Rachel, are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet? Uh, oh, yes. Find me on the internet,
1: because if you show up at my house, I'll be unnerved people can find me on uh, Twitter if they want or Instagram both places uh, it's Rachetacular because when Facebook not Facebook when MySpace let you pick a custom mm. URL for your MySpace page I was like this will be cool it's like Rachel plus spectacular Rachetacular uh-huh. and it just you know, became my handle. So Twitter, where I like retweet uh, like very leftist political tweets and then Instagram where I post screenshots of people who were on Murder, She Wrote, who I recognize from other things. (laughs) That's, you know, in like pictures of my dog.
0: Always good. So you can find Rachel there. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. And I will read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. And finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, I would love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye.